Hello and welcome to Minta Dialogue, episode number 178. Today is Sunday the 17th of January 2016, and this interview is with Massimo Fubini, CEO and founder of Contact Lab, an Italian provider of digital marketing services with offices in five cities across Europe. Having evolved from email marketing services, Contact Lab is now at the heart of the multi-channel customer relationship challenge. In addition to having an extraordinary archive of newsletters over the years, Contact Lab uses data in very interesting ways to create insightful reports on select industries such as fashion and luxury, looking at e-commerce and digital direct marketing trends. I'm sure you'll enjoy Massimo's pragmatic and resourceful approach to running his business. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. So on, the, on Skype today, I have someone who I met, uh, I guess, about four or five years ago, and I was really impressed by what Massimo was up to. So Massimo Fubini, welcome to my podcast. I'm so glad to have you on since we've known each other for so long, but we don't get so often to chat. So tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset? Hello, everybody. Uh, <clears throat> my mindset is, <clears throat> is a curious mindset. That's the very first thing. And I'm uh, quite, you know, started to work in the digital uh, arena about 20 years ago, wow. 94. Nice. So quite really long time ago. And uh, I was, you know, starting selling internet connection through dial-up modems. So my, my background is not a technical one. Uh, my, my background in studies uh, in economics. Uh, but uh, I am or I was a, a gig guy, uh, you know, starting... Uh, Before it was cool. Router and modem and so on. And then uh, switch it to the dark side of the web, which is the marketing. <laughs> the dark side, without going down to the dark web. So, Massimo, you are founder and CEO of Contact Lab. Tell us what is Contact Lab for everybody to understand. Um, Contact Lab is my baby, obviously. And I founded it in 98, so a lot, long time ago. And um, we started as, a, let me say, an email service provider, which is now quasi quite an ancient word. So with a technical point of view, we were and we still are able to manage messaging, outbound messaging from a technical point of view. And uh, we serve many different customers from that point. And uh, then we understood and uh, that it's not, just about sending messages, but the world, uh, uh, the world outside is much more interesting about what you send, to whom, when, uh, and uh, so content, media, and, uh, and moment. So I'm, I'm moving the business from uh, moving bits from one email service provider to another one uh, to really understand through data uh, what to send to whom and when. So finally, I mean, what you're basically doing is, is getting more into a customized relationship management that, that is able to understand better who you're dealing with and, and giving them a more personalized type of a message. Is that, would that be a fair statement? 
Um, yes, very simple. We talk about you know relationship marketing, and it's because it's a relationship, and it's not just because you would like to send something to somebody. So we try to really analyze uh, how to build relation through messages and how to uh, convince people to do something uh, through email, SMS, push notification, and, uh, and so on. So that's our, our business. I, I think that, I mean, this space is the reason why I wanted to have you on, of course, is this is an extremely interesting space. And I, I would say anybody who's anybody in marketing has got to be thinking about this deeply. But the challenge is it's, it's, it's a complicated and complex thing to get organized. So give us an idea. What are some of the biggest headaches or challenges that you face? And I'm, I'm thinking on the one hand, it's the complexity and velocity of the data. On the other hand, it's the privacy of customers. And then finally, it's also organizationally getting the companies with whom you're working to get it together in order to deliver that customized message in the right way with the right action to the right person. The last one is the real problem. So uh, privacy, is it a problem or an opportunity? Is something you can solve without any problem? Uh, technology point of view, real-time, big data, is something um, easy or simple? Not at all, but you can solve uh, without any problem. The real uh, headache we normally have is the organization of our customers. Uh, because they are not organized to have a single, let me say, single spokesperson. And uh, they normally have are organized to manage different media with different silos. So it's not just about what we normally say, data silos, but is organizational silos. Mm -hmm. uh, just think about the uh, something everybody is talking, which is, you know, omnichannel. Um, many, many different organizations are still organizing e-commerce versus retail. Uh, also now, 2016, many, many different companies, they have people that are managing just e-commerce and people that are managing uh, retail, but they don't have anybody that are managing customers, customers' relationship through the different channels. And uh, this is one problem. Uh, another problem, uh, quite easy, is uh, in many different organizations, uh, the department in charge of the uh, communication is the marketing. But many times, and is the central marketing, but many times the central marketing has never, never, never met the customers. Mm -hmm. They are not on the point of sales to, to see, to really touch, and so on. So you have people that can have a you know, physical touch on, on the stores, and then there are people who uh, you know, are involved to speak, but they never saw the customers. And um, so th there are some, some organization issues that we are trying to deal with, and this is one of the reasons why we are not trying to uh, do our job from a technical perspective, and, uh, but we really try to understand and to study, to understand much more how our customers are organized and how their customers uh, would like to 
um, uh, have a relationship with the uh, with the uh, with the brand. Yeah, well, so I mean, it almost it's like your job is more about consultancy than selling a solution. Um, let me say, um, I don't want to say that I hate consultancy. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. But the problem is that there is a really uh, a big distance between doing stuff mm-hmm. and tell what you have to do. Sure. And uh, um, yeah. so we met very good consultant outside. They give you know fantastic advice, really good, but many times they don't really understand that. Then you know going to the point, it's it's really hard. So many times you you have the theoretical path, but then you know to <laughs> to to really do stuff, it's it's another world. I- and many times. You can do. Uh, you can really be a consultant only if you really touch the problem you see every day. Yeah. But um, no, there I, are I, quite I, no companies that are really doing this because there are consultants that then you know they don't do it stuff. They just consult. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> hey, no, Massimo, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, what I, my I I couldn't agree with you more. I worked in business for twenty five years, and there was nothing more frustrating than a, a young intelligent consultant telling you what to do <laughs> bear my bear with me so the 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 notion that i was thinking about as i was listening to you is about the single customer view so how far are we away from having companies actually having the ability to have a single customer view then um from a technical point of view the the single customer view it's um it's easy. It's quite easy. It's a it's a matter of you know um, data interaction between different data silos, and now it's not so hard to put in just one data silos data arriving from social media, from CRM, from uh, point of sales, uh, from ERP, and so you can easily see uh, easily. Uh, it's not so hard to do it, let me say. But then uh, there are two different problems. Uh, when you have all the data in one point, it's good, but you have really to understand your data, which is uh, you know a matter of taxonomy of data. It's not just about uh, you know you visited this page and this page, and then you arrived in uh, my shop, and then uh, uh, maybe you asked for a product substitution. Uh, but it's also understand which what are the characteristics of the page you saw. Uh, so it's much more about understanding data than just having all the data in one single point. And then the other point is uh, the problem is who is looking at all those collapsed data in one single point because. Obviously, if you have somebody that can have really a huge point of view and is able to see all the data and understand some pattern, it's good. But if you give data, uh, all the data about web, about call center interaction, about store interaction to somebody that do not really understand all the business together, um, you have the all data together, but you have a single point of view <laughs> from 
the people you are looking at. And it's really hard to find people that it's much more about the psychology than uh, marketing or than uh, uh, or than I don't know I don't know what. So really, um, really understand why people act or react in a specific way, and what you have to do. It's uh, it's it's quite hard. So single point of view in terms of data, few companies uh, they really are able to do it. It's you know it's not a problem. Well, it's let, let a... me let me give you some uh, my perspective on it because I think I would like to push back, and that is that I I understand technologically it's it's more or less feasible if you can tie all the different data together, especially if you have the um, credit card information. But if you are talking to a company, let's say that has multiple brands, yeah. Uh, that's one case. The other one is, as you rightly said before, the marketing people, they're not necessarily in touch with the customer. That might be customer service that that, that uh, reports into operations. You have the people who are running the stores that report into retail. You have the people who are maybe running social media in the countries, and then you have the international centralized marketing that's doing the products and, and maybe running the TV ads. These people... Uh, don't necessarily want their information to be shared or, you know, within the company. So, so you have, so, and then, then you have other brands, you know, like the multi-brand situation. So I might be the customer, let's say of a, uh, of a, uh, I don't know, I don't want to take anyone in particular, but I, you know, take a cosmetics brand that has lots of different company, lots of different brands. I buy this product for my daughter, this product for my wife, this product for me. And they're from three different brands that are owned by the same company. So theoretically, that company should have a view on me. But but from experience, that's not exactly shareable information because, you know, well, then they're going to steal from my my customer. How, do, you, do, you, do you see those kinds of situations happening? Um, yes, we saw many times. And uh, what I can tell you that that's, that's one of the problem of, the consultancy work. So consultancy say you know you have uh, you need to have uh, all the data together. You need a taxonomy of information. Uh, you really have you need to have the customer point of view of everything, and so and it's it's a perfect view. Right. But then the reality it's really far away from this perfect situation. So I think we do not have to aspire in this moment to have a perfect situation, mm-hmm. but to um, avoid big mistake. Right. So let me say, uh, <clears throat> when you uh, all the people talk about you know customer engagement, and uh, all the people are talking about you know we have to increase the engage of the customers and so. On. Many times I said, just focus on, do not lose the natural engagement that the customer has with you. You don't really have to focus on increase disengage, but when a customer is arriving in your shop and buys something and gives you the personal data, let me say, from that point, probably you have much more to lose than much more to, <laughs> to right. gain. So don't think about, you know, 
gaining something spectacular, but be ready to do not lose. So do not forget the basic mm -hmm. about relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you don't have to, in my opinion, to, you know, the wow effect. Right, right. That's, it's relationship. It's not about wow. Wow is sometimes in the life. Uh, relationships is something that you have to build every every day. Is something much more about trust, about yeah, that's true. Uh, about uh, yeah, about trust. I, I get that. Um, so, and I think this this conversation leads nicely into the world of luxury, because if there's one area where you 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 are trying to show good value, because you're you're having your products be spent, you know, uh, costed at such a higher level, the, the need for trust needs to be even stronger within that somehow. So I, I, let's talk about the, the um, report that you guys did. Now, first of all, I was, I was completely surprised by the fact that you, Contact Lab, would do a report with BNP Paribas. So I thought that was very innovative, Massimo. So, <laughs> what, so um, I, read, I read the report. It's a, it's a report that looks at 29 luxury brands uh, how they're doing digitally. And you went through a very specific approach, uh, which I thought was really operational. And, uh, and I think really brands need to know how to be doing that as a manager uh, to be able to vet the customer experience. So talk us through the uh, the brainchild behind the reason why you did this report, including this, maybe the relationship with Bim Paribas, if you can, and uh, maybe some of the most interesting findings. Uh, it's a long story and it's not just about this report because we have already done like 10 different reports with, uh, uh, with exam. And um, everything started a few years ago when I met the former CEO of Boston Consulting in Italy. Uh, so a consulting, very famous consulting firm. And uh, he was advising me um, to, you know, better manage my company. And um, he said, you know, you have an incredible value because you touch the data of your customers. So you really understand how your customers are doing, moving, and, and so on. And in consultancy, we never had the chance to have all those data. And so he said, you, you, you really have an incredible value and you just used to send email, you crazy guy. So that's the um, that was the, um, the 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 point. And um, he said it will be probably possible with this data to give much better consultant to to your customers. Can we do something together in that way? And uh, we started. We started to build the. Um, uh, the consultant's arm of, uh, uh, of Contact Lab, and we failed. So we have a great consultant here, great data, understanding this data, doing, you know, data mining, machine learning, not just with a technological approach, but with uh, also really mindset and, uh, and great experience. And we went to many different uh, customers of us telling, you know that from the data, we understand this and this and this and, and, uh, and so on. And probably you have to do this, this and this. And people were not interested. And, uh, and so we said, well, but how is it possible? So we are doing some great, uh, uh, you know, great service. 
for a portion of a cost of McKinsey and Boston uh, with a greater value of data, and people are not interested. And the reason was, you know, uh, quite easy. Uh, but I understood after one or two years uh, is many companies that asking for, you know, consultant, uh, they don't really need uh, the content uh, of the study, but they read somebody which is trusted, which is a good brand and say, you have to do this and this and this. So it's, it's not for everybody. I don't want to, you know, uh, be too generic, but it, it was something like that. And then people trusted Contact Lab as somebody who really know about uh, relationship and not that just about, you know, uh, consultancy in, in a generic way. So we really started to say, that's true, we need to focus on um, really much better understand the relationship between brands and customers. And, uh, and not just, you know, giving advice on pricing, on organization, on something that was normally outside our world. And then give, giving this type of methodology, methodology step by step, uh, try to expand uh, our, our approach. Um, because we have a lot of customers into the uh, luxury sectors, really more than you can imagine, um, from independent brands and from very different groups. And I assume and they're, for, not, they're not just the Italian brands, even though there's so many. Not just Italian brands. Yeah. Um, we had the, really the chance to have an incredible point of view uh, of the sector. And uh, so we started analyzing uh, all those data with a very high-end technological approach, but in the same time, very, let me say, old mindset of consultant uh, on this data. And um, we met uh, Luca Sonka, which is an incredible, um, incredible uh, person that know everything about luxury. He's the head of luxury goods on the exam. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Luca Solka uh, already worked with uh, Marco Pozzi, which is uh, uh, the senior, the, the, my senior advisor, former CEO of Boston Consulting. And we went to, to look and say, you know, we have all those data, so we, we can really give you uh, an idea of what's, what is working on. And uh, we have also the chance to see many other data from an observation point of view. And uh, we do this job. We do this job every day. So we really uh, can, can go in deep. And we started, not as a joke, but we started, you know, let's try to do something together. And now it's the third year we are doing those kind of research. So give us, Massimo, give us a, a one or two of the, the top uh, key, the points that came out of the last one that you just did then. Oh, we have so many. Um, I don't have one very specific point. Nothing, nothing so. jumps out? Well, maybe if I put it another way, then. The interesting thing about luxury is that with the internet in, and all these different tools that are out there, it's accessible to everybody. Because whether you're Amazon or you know a low a low cost uh, shoe supplier, you can do an internet campaign. You can send out e-commerce. So, 
How is it, how do you think that, let me, if we look at the luxury brands, who's doing the best job in trying to figure out the mix between off and online? Because you very much look at the off and the online ex experience. Give us an idea of, of, of how luxury brands or the best luxury brands are actually doing better than an Amazon or a Zappos. Um, frankly speaking, uh, I don't think there are any luxury brands in this moment that is doing better than Amazon or Apple. Um, I think uh, uh, quite all the big luxury brands really understood that is a very important uh, part of their business in the future. So in the past, uh, um, the business of luxury brand is a retail uh, is a uh, retail business. If you uh, you know, 15 years ago, luxury brands were earning uh, like 30 to 40 percent from uh, uh, diamond retailers and uh, 50, 60, 70s from wholesale. And now they moved uh, like 80 percent, 90 percent from retailers and or uh, something like that. And now they have a small part of their business who wholesale, <clears throat> still big part on the um, uh, mono brands, uh, so retailer, and uh, start to have, uh, uh, you know, big numbers on e-commerce. And um, big numbers is still little because for somebody is less than 10%. For somebody is more than 10% or between 15 to 20. So it's not 70, it's not 70, but start to be something very important. And it start to be something very important uh, specifically to enter in some market where they are not present. Because opening stores is absolutely expensive. And um, when you have a very good practice on digital commerce, Opening new countries is not cheap at all, but it's not expensive like opening many, many different, uh, uh, many different uh, stores. Uh, so is e-commerce is substitution of stores? No, mm -hmm. absolutely not. They have to work together, mm -hmm. obviously. <laughs> so you don't have to think that you know just put on e-commerce or just put on stores. But they understand that it's uh, it it will be a very important part of their of their business. So they are. Um, they are investing. Yeah. Uh, in the past, many brands, they outsourced the, the e-commerce to different uh, organizations and brands. So they had the chance to start before many others and with, uh, let me say, a good level of service. But they have now a problem because they don't have internal knowledge about managing mm. this. Mm. And the other problem they really have that it's really hard to do omnichannel. Because if you have somebody who is in charge of e-commerce and is paid on the e-commerce performance, uh, let me say, is an internal competitor of the retail. Well, it goes back to the question we had at the very beginning of these silos, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, Massimo, I, I know the time is short, but I wanted to, I did want to get to uh, this, this question of marketing automation. Uh, you're you're in, in touch with so many different brands. You're with a contact lab. You're in a number of countries, of course. Uh, can you give us an idea of, of some of the things that what, what you see as maybe the the 2016, 17 types of trends that you think are important in making CRM or relationship management and specifically email marketing better? 
<clears throat> so it's really depending a lot from industry to industry, obviously. Uh, but let's continue to talk with the luxury sure. uh, luxury sector. Um, I think marketing automation is important because it's important, but I don't think it's the key point. Uh, let me try to tell something. If you go in a, um, luxury stores uh, uh, in the center of London or something like that, uh, to Barbary or whatever you want, um, do you think you will find a robot or something automation that will uh, welcome you to the stores uh, and recognize, like in a matrix way, and uh, maybe show you the path on the floor where you have to go to find uh, your preferred products? Well, Sephora, Sephora's trying, right? With their little now. But Sephora is no luxury. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and, is uh, it's it's something it's something different, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> so in the luxury sector, uh, the relationship between uh, a dream between a, you know heritage and so on, it's uh, it's very important. So automation, it's important for um, few little stuff uh, in luxury. But I think it's much more important to really recognize customers and find the right word for everybody. Also because if you talk about automation, you really have to be sure that your data, where the automation is based, are good, are you know robust. And when you go and you buy something in a luxury shop, many times you can save that you bought something but you don't know from the brand perspective is it, if it was really something for you right it was something for your wife or something for somebody else and uh, so it it could be also embarrassing to you know use the data in a wrong way so sometimes it could be much better to do not use data <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know, giving this kind of intelligence to um, to uh, uh, an automation engine, it's uh, it's hard. It works very good for Amazon. It could work very good for Sephora, uh, but I don't think it's the key point for some luxury brands. In my in my my idea is that now 100% of the marketing is uh, like 100% was based on, you know, central marketing team. Um, in the future, uh, part of those efforts uh, will be delegated to marketing automation. But in the next future, I see three different stakeholders of this. One is the mar- central marketing. The other one is a computer, so uh, uh, marketing Artificial automation. And the other one is to help... Uh, stores to do marketing to their customers. So much more based on one-to-one. And this is one of the key points we are working on because we still uh, are very, let me say, we think we can be really good on helping marketing department to manage their outbound messaging. We have some good practice on using marketing automation to send out mail, post-purchase email, customer satisfaction email, birthday email, or whatever. And uh, 
we think there is a huge amount of people outside that they are normally trained to interact with people in a physical way and we would like to help them to use the technology to interact with people also in some other way. They are already doing this because if you talk with uh, um, uh, sales associates in many stores, they know very well their VIP customers. They have their personal phone. They connect with them with WhatsApp. And they are not just sending, you know, the image of the last product, but they really have a relation with them. And um, so this is uh, one of the frontier we think uh, we should work. I totally And understand. we are working. Right, right. I mean, I, you know, just going with you on that, there's, there's already the digital tool in the store. So, you know, the classic is the iPad. And, and so you see sales themselves running around the iPad. And uh, typically these are done without any real understanding of what happens on the sales floor. And they're done, the user experience is not so hot. Lots of problems go into it. I've seen so many bad examples. But then that, as you say, the relationship between the good salespeople and their clients, they really get it. They WhatsApp, they do it. But on top of that, you've got, you know, all the other social media uh, you've got email, you've got data that comes from everywhere else. And so there's a real issue, an organizational issue of, of, ma- of allowing um, a, a store person in one store to have access to the fact that Mr. Fubini actually was in Rio de Janeiro um, last week and he went to, the, to my, my store in Rio. Do I have access to that information even though he's, you know, he typically buys from me or not? And understanding and and finding ways organizationally for that information to be shareable at the floor level, knowing that is another big problem. Retail sales personnel typically, you know, they don't. There many many of them don't really stay very long with stores because they they tend to flip, they they want to change, and so that they there's an there's also an issue of confidentiality that grows into it. Um, That's a very important point, and. it's uh, it's it's much more about in some case about psychology, in some case about privacy, and um, it's important to think like to be in the real world and be very transparent to the customers. So it's um, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, I don't feel personally a problem uh, when I go in a Sephora shop. Whatever, no problem if in Rio de Janeiro or somebody else and buy different products. And uh, if I go to Milan and they can see all the products I buy, I don't see this is a, um, you know, I don't, I, I'm, I don't fear this. I don't have fear about that. And uh, obviously, if they can see in which store I bought something, that can disturb me a little bit because... Uh, it doesn't help you to understand me. It's help you to give me a good services that you know that I have bought this type of perfume and cream and whatever. But if I normally buy in, uh, in an airport or in Rio de Janeiro or whatever, it doesn't help you. So it's not only an information that is useful for your job. And if you are able to access this kind of information, 
is something that I don't like it. Right. Well, the, the challenge is internally just making sure that the people in Brazil. So forget, let's say, I, I, oh, I see, Mr. Fubini, you've just purchased some beautiful uh, skin cream, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to know it's in Rio. The challenge internally is that the people in Brazil for this particular wholesaler need to allow for the view of that customer, Mr. Fubini, and what he purchased in the store so that it, it, it now comes down to this new salesperson who's in Milan or in Rome, wherever you are, and, um, and, and, has seen, and, and, you, and that salesperson on the floor has access to your, what you've purchased, not necessarily where you've been. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a normal exchange. So uh, you, when you go in a store and you buy something, uh, you know if the people register the purchase on your card or not. If you don't, uh, you don't want it to be, you know, recognized. Uh, you can uh, buy without giving your name or without giving a card. All right, so well, that, that assumes that there's a loyalty card. Exactly. Well, and give, when I, you when you have a loyalty card, you know that. You have an advantage giving the loyalty card, sure. and so it's quite transparent that somebody will have access to to see this. Obviously, depending uh, um, uh, depending who are you buying, who you have in front. This is the reason why I told you it's much more about organization yeah. and understand what you have to do than the the uh, the chance to real do it or not. On this, uh, on this, Massimo, we agree a hundred percent. So, I listen. I, I, I know that time's uh, short. I wanted, I wanted to make sure you got off on time as you wished. Um, I really appreciate the conversation, Massimo. I think we just scratched the surface of a lot of really interesting stuff, though. Um, I'm going to put the link into uh, into the show notes about your your luxury brands uh, report and maybe a few others that I can pick on that and you can give me some advice on that. But how can somebody best reach you or contact you? What would be the best way? Would you like that? Oh, it's uh, it's very easy. You can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, my name is Massimo Fubini and the contact lab is the name of the, contact, uh, of the company. So it's uh, very, very easy to... Link me on uh, on on LinkedIn. Probably is the best way. All right, fabulous. Hey, Massimo, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, and have a good day. And uh, bye to everybody. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's painted fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.